This program is brought to you by Pussy Magnets. Put an inch on your friends with a Pussy Magnet. Welcome, welcome, my lovely lumps. Or should I say lovely labs? I'm so thrilled to have you here in the Labia Lounge to yarn about all things sexuality, womanhood, holistic health, and everything in between. Your legs. <laughs> Ah, can never help myself. Anyway, we're going to have vag loads of real chats with real people about real shit. So buckle up, you're about to receive the sex ed that you never had and have a bloody good laugh while you're at it. Before we get stuck in, I'd like to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which I'm recording this, the Manang people. It's an absolute privilege to be living and creating dope podcast content on Noongar country and I pay respect to their elders past, present and emerging. Now, if you're ready, let's flap and do this. (laughs) Oh God, is there such thing as too many vagina jokes in the one intro? (laughs) Whatever, I'm leaving it in. It's my podcast. Don't panic, you're not broken. Your sex education was a piece of shit. Get your flaps out and pull up a couch. It's the Labia Lounge. What's up, Labia Loves? Before we enter the lounge and get stuck into this epi, I just wanted to tell you about my new online course that's taking new participants at the moment. It's called Queen Out, and it's a three month online course that's going to help you level up your sex life and relationship to yourself and others in every bloody way. I'm telling you. Queen Out is on offer for you, labial ledgehammers, for a cheeky discounted price right now to say thank you for being in my beloved podcast audience. And I'm offering 200 bucks off the price. So if you're ready to take your sex life into your own hands and go on a deep dive with me to feel more sexually empowered and confident and knowledgeable and orgasmic than ever before, now is the time. So doors are open right now for another couple of days with this discounted price. Um, you can use the code labial legends before the end of December 14th to join up and If you listen to this a little bit too late and you're like, oh, fuck, I've missed the boat and you do want to be part of it, just get in touch with me and I'll see what I can wrangle for you. So don't stress. Um, But basically, this course is the culmination of my years of experience in the field of sexuality and women's work and personal development, facilitation, Um, all of it. I've put all of my best material tips and tricks in the one place for you. So I know you're going to get so much out of it and start seeing transformation in all aspects of your life, but in particular in the bedroom. It's for women who may struggle with orgasm or self-love, a lack of confidence or correct information around their sexuality, and it'll help you feel more sexually alive, connected, more confident, and comfortable in your sensuality through a combo of inspiring sex education, coaching, embodiment practices, and a whole lot of extra little fun bells and whistles that I've popped in there. So it's basically your one-stop shop for learning how to own your sexuality, reclaim your pleasure, and queen the fuck out. So anyway, I'm so excited about it. I've been getting rave reviews and incredible feedback from my pilot participants. And I can't wait to connect with you in the course if this sounds like something that might be beneficial to you, which I can tell you it probably is. So I'll pop the link and the discount code in the show notes for you and let you get on with the episode now because this is hands down one of my favorite episodes yet. Hello, my labial loves. Welcome back to the lounge for an episode that I've been literally trying to make happen for 
as long as the podcast has been around, basically. I've been wanting to cover the topic of libido since I started exactly a year ago. Um, and I've been holding out for the best of the best to interview with this one. So today I've got the gorgeous Elena Rossi sharing couch space with me and we're going to dig into all sorts of things surrounding libido, including factors that affect libido, the differences in male and female libido, the different types of arousal patterns that can be mistaken for high or low libido, what to do to increase your sexual appetite and stoke the fires of your libido, uh, and also a few little things if I if I got time around how society views libido and definitely want to want to pick your brains Elena about how to navigate it if you and your partner have different libidos because that's a common one. So it's juicy as fuck episode basically. So buckle up and let me introduce my darling guest because she's a very impressive human. And basically, here's the rundown. Elena Rossi is a female libido specialist, author of two books, damn, pelvic trauma release therapist and a sex toy designer. She holds degrees in business, psychology, entrepreneurship and leadership and has created a number of successful wellness concepts including slow pleasure brand Honor Lifestyle, Holistic Clinic and Cafe Alchemy Bali and her personal coaching brand The Yoni Empire which is how I found her work on the old gram. So Elena's content reflects her no bullshit approach to sexual well-being, which I can very much relate to and appreciate, and is followed by thousands of women all over the world. A sensual connoisseur at heart, Elena inspires and supports women to explore the nourishing power of sexuality infused with purpose and meaning. And you can find her writing her book series at her studio in Amsterdam, riding her bicycle around town, trail running in the woods, and spending time with her loved ones because she's a wholesome as fuck human. So welcome, babes. I'm super stoked to have you here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. (laughs) So... I get asked constantly about libido. It seems to be a challenging issue for a lot of people, definitely a lot of couples where there's a discrepancy between their levels of desire. And it's been something that I've wanted to cover because I think it's quite, it's quite a misunderstood topic and it's pretty big and complex. So I, I want to do it justice and I'm going to be throwing a whole lot of questions at you and we'll see how we go. Um, but are you cool for me to just totally launch in? <laughs> Well, let's do this. Let's uh, let's take it step by step. Beauty. Well, there's one question that I had that I don't particularly find all that helpful, but I do get it. I, I get asked it a lot, and I see people posting in like Facebook groups and forums, and it's that they want to know how often they should be having sex. What is normal? How many times a week is normal? How much should I be desiring sex? And I'm kind of a bit like. Oh, I don't like the concept of normal here because obviously desire ranges and fluctuates and all the rest, but I feel like I've got to ask just for the sake of, you know, everyone who has asked this question, um, what is considered a normal libido and is it even helpful to put a number on how many times you should be having sex a week or whatever? You know, I get asked this question all the time too. (laughs) (laughs) And if you dive into some research... Uh, which is really outdated as well. It, people will tell you it's between two and three times a week is the healthy amount. Now, 
for anyone who is a sex geek like myself and dives into the actual research and the methodology of it, you realize that the way the research is done is that it's just questionnaires given out to people. And so it's a very subjective Mm -hmm. experience where you're filling out multiple choice questions like, how often a week do you have it? (laughs) So it's not Mm -hmm. really Mm -hmm. providing us any useful or objective information because we also don't know Mm. if these people who are having it once a week are enjoying themselves are the people who are having Mm. it four times a week having it out of obligation like there's just so many questions Mm. that you start asking or at least I start asking Mm. whenever such um, comments are being made of what is a healthy libido Uh, for me what's Mm. more important is that the couple who are having the sex are they what are the intentions behind their sexual relationship why are they having the sex? Are they both enjoying it? How do they feel before, during, and after? And so mm. that's the questions I want to be asking. And it's such an individual experience. Our sexualities are like blueprints. No two people are alike. And some people need the quantity. Some people need the quality. Others need both. And like you said, libido mm. fluctuates, desire fluctuates, life is constantly evolving and changing. So there's no right answer. There's no, you, you cannot give you an answer and apply it to everyone and say, this is what it has to be. You know, whenever mm. I hear people say, oh, it has to be three times a week. I don't have sex three times a week. Who the fuck has time for that? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but I consider, I think I have the best sex life ever. I love my partner. I love the sex we're having, but we don't have it three times a week. Sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. And so you really have to dive deep into understanding what you want your sex life to look like. And are you compatible in that vision with your partner? Yeah. Amazing. Beautiful answer. I completely agree. And it is so funny because it's one of those questions that as a sex coach or sex educator, you just get asked constantly and you just kind of try to refrain from rolling your eyes because it's like, oh God, this is just, it's damaging that we even are led to believe that there is a certain number that's healthy to be having sex every week, you know, like, fuck, that's not how life goes and that's not how bodies work. So thanks for clearing that up. Um, And I guess on that vein, I'd love for you to speak into what some of the factors are that affect libido and could either be dampening it at times for people or fueling it for people. Oh, my. How much time do you have? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I I always struggle doing podcasts because, you know, there's common questions that I'm being asked and there's no one answer. You know, like I said, Mm. every single person is really individual. So there are common things that we deal with. But at the end of the day, you have to dive individually with every single person to really understand why they are in a high libido, why they're in a low libido, why they're, you know, where they are and how they feel. So if we're going to talk about a so-called low libido, first of all, we need to identify what we mean by low libido. Again, I might have a low libido if I'm dating a sex addict, but I might Mm -hmm. have a high libido if I'm dating someone who is going through trauma in their life. So again, Mm -hmm. we're constantly bouncing these concepts of high, low, healthy, unhealthy um, against the other person that we're in a sexual relationship with. And I've worked with many women who are actually in relationships with 
sex addicts, and then they are the ones who are feeling broken. They feel like something is wrong with their libido because they don't want to fuck every night. But meanwhile, they're dating somebody who is using sex as a way to self-soothe and to avoid feeling what they're feeling. Mm. And so number one is really diving deep into understanding your own sexuality, understanding where that sexuality is coming from, because the reality is for a lot of us, our sexual behavior is governed by fear and insecurity rather than being governed by, let's say, the desire to connect, to express yourself, and to love. Mm. And so that would be my answer is really, let's dive deep into you, specifically you, and look into what's actually happening inside of you. So we're looking at trauma, we're looking at stress, we're looking at hormones, we're looking at the relationship dynamic, we're looking at trauma bonding, we're looking at what actually turns you on. Is your turn on trauma based? Is your trauma, is your turn on based on love? For a lot of people, their horniness or what they would describe as horniness is actually anxiety or it's boredom or it's insecurity, or it's the seeking of validation. And that's a very humbling experience to have, to realize that, wow, I'm not actually horny, I'm just anxious. And I'm chasing the dopamine hit of an orgasm, or I'm chasing the validation of being chosen or being desired by somebody else. So this is the work that I do with women, is we go really, really deep to look at yourself and understand what is actually going on. Wow. Epic. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you said, look, there's, it's hard to answer because there's no one answer for everyone. I'm like, well, yeah, that's, that's the answer there. I suppose it's like, it is as unique as a fingerprint, everyone's sexuality and the things that sort of hit our brakes or our accelerator. And like you said, you know, some people might use sex as a self-soothing tool or a validation tool or a reason, you know, a way of a way of feeling worthy and and hanging on to a relationship that they are afraid of, you know, leaving them or you know, it's it's such a complex thing. So thank you for that cuz yeah, it's I mean, my kind of I guess personally when I look at my libido, my desire, I know things like stress and overwhelm are just gigantic, you know, just enormous. Pretty much any time there is a single like hair out of place in my health. Like if I'm not eating as well as I could be, if I haven't slept well, if there's like anything going on that's causing me stress or overwhelm, the last thing I feel like is fucking sex because, you know, I'm in survival mode. If there's any fight or flight or any cortisol or adrenaline going through my body, like my whole sort of like sexual scenario, like that just all shuts down. Um, so yeah, it's it's super interesting when I hear about people who have the opposite and that when they're stressed, they actually like to have sex to, you know, soothe. Um and I guess like how so how do we even how do we know what is actually I guess that's the work you do and it's not as easy as just answering this question, but I still can't help but ask because I'm hearing the listeners go like, all right, but how do I know if I'm really horny or whether I'm just wanting sex for some other reason, you know? Uh-huh. You do the work, you go to therapy, you get coaching, you educate yourself, you look into, um, you look into yourself. And yeah, like you said, there is no simple answer. This is the whole process and it takes a while to really dive deep into it. 
And mm. there's different stages that we go through. So stage one is absolute denial, <laughs> right? <laughs> if you're someone who is a high libido and, for example, I'll give you examples of different people. Um, a client who is, she's a high libido. She has branded herself as a high libido, always horny. And she's frustrated and she comes for coaching with me because her husband doesn't want to have sex as often as her. And she's really angry and she's frustrating and she's thinking of cheating on him. And when we talk about their relationship, it sounds like a really lovely relationship. He sounds like a lovely guy. He's sweet. He's mm -hmm. nurturing. They have two kids together. Um, and so as we start diving deeper, and again, it takes a while to build that intimacy with a client. People will lie to you all the time. You know, I've lied to my therapist and I've been in therapy for 10 years. So this <laughs> stuff takes time and I know the process. So I'm very patient in it. So we, we start looking into different layers, right? And layers of truth starts coming out during the sessions. And the process that we get into is that she's not actually horny. She is feeling unvalidated. And when she has sex, mm. when her man chooses her, when her man has an erection towards her, it's the ultimate validation. So what she's really looking for is not sex or pleasure. She's looking to be reminded her of her own worth. She needs that proof. Yeah. She needs that dopamine hit, that confirmation that I am sexy, I am loved, I am a woman. Even though this man is showing her in the relationship in all other ways of how wonderful she is, how she's loved as his wife, as his partner, as his co-parent, she needs that ultimate validation because she's receiving that in sex through sex. And so getting to that yeah. point of realization, it takes time, it takes severe humility, and it takes looking at your childhood and your past to really understand why is it that I'm chasing that validation in sex, right? And we all chase validation in one way or another. You've got your workaholics who are chasing it through work, achievement, money. You've got people who are chasing validation through outward appearance, right? Those are your gym junkies, people who are counting all the calories, lifting those weights five times a week. Then you've got people who are chasing validation and um, the feeling of being desired through sex. Ultimately, what we all want is to feel like we're enough, that we're good enough. And that's really one of the core woundsing of humanity. None of us feel safe to be ourselves. But it gets really complicated when you start chasing that or demanding that from other people. Make me feel safe. Make me feel like I'm enough. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I'll give you the other example. So it works the other way. For example, a woman comes to me and she is branding herself as a low libido, broken, traumatized. What's wrong with me? Let's dive deep. Is it trauma? Is it abuse? What is it? We start going into it. And as I learn more about her relationship, what I start to realize is that her partner is addicted to sex or he's showing signs of addiction. For example, mm -hmm. he needs to orgasm multiple times a day every single day. If she says no to him, he gets frustrated, angry, passive aggressive, moody. He cannot sleep. He needs to go and secretly or not secretly masturbate in the bathroom to get himself off. But he tells her that he wants to have sex with her because he loves her and he wants to connect. But really he's chasing that dopamine hit, that self-soothing experience of an orgasm, that relief of, ah, <sighs>
but he's branded himself as healthy, as having a healthy libido. He's just a man who loves his wife. He doesn't see the problem in his behavior. So she's now taking the hit in the relationship and thinks that she's broken, but she's dating a sex addict. I would feel broken in the relationship with this Mm. man too, because it's never enough for someone like him. And so, of course, you know, like if someone reaches out to me on Instagram and says, I don't have a libido, what's wrong with me? We have to dive so deep into every single part of their life to really understand what is happening. And often one session is not enough. That's another question people ask me. How many sessions? I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Because it Mm -hmm. requires a lot of self-awareness. It requires honesty. A lot of people don't tell me everything or they tell me something on session three, four, five, six to really understand what is actually going on. And sometimes it's not you, it's not your traumas. It's always the responsibility of both people because we are co-creating this sex life together. But you can only be responsible for your part. And you could do all the work, you can get all the therapy, but if your partner is refusing to do the work, then you're always going to struggle. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's so tricky when there is that difference between libidos in a relationship because one at least one person if not both of them wind up feeling as though there's something wrong with them and just not knowing how to tackle that so I mean I was going to ask about this later but shall we just chat a bit about that now like what what's the first step how do we even start to combat that when there's a big discrepancy between libidos in a partnership Um, and let's say that it's quite a happy, healthy partnership in every other way, but there's just a difference in desire. Maybe let's start there. Hey, babe towns. So sorry to interrupt, but I simply had to pop my head into the lounge here and mention another virtual lounge that you've got to get around. It's the Labia Lounge Facebook group that I've created for listeners of the potty to mingle in. And there you'll find extra bits and bobs like freebies or discounts for offerings from guests who've been interviewed on the podcast, inspiring and thought-provoking conversations, and support from a community of labial legends. I also have an account on the fab new app Sunroom, which is a platform created by women for women and non-binary folk, and where there's no shadow banning or censorship of sex-positive content, unlike with the other platforms that I'm on. So you can hit up my sunroom for extra content and real and raw life updates because I'll be sharing on there from now on all of the stuff that I can't post anywhere else. My vision for both of these is that they become really supportive, educational, and hilarious resources for you to have more access to me and a safe space to ask questions that you can't ask anywhere else. So head over to the links in the show notes and I'll hopefully see you in there. And now back to the episode. Uh, Step one is understanding what is the purpose of sex in your life um, and what is the driving force behind your lack of libido or behind your libido (laughs) that's raging with desire. So that would be number one, because we really need to understand where each person is coming from. And I only work with women. I don't work with couples. So Mm -hmm. I always say, look, before we start pointing fingers at your partners, because also I haven't met your partner, so I cannot say, I can tell you Mm -hmm. some signs that they show, but ultimately I'm only hearing your story. And that story could be just a very tiny part of the full story, right? I don't know your mm-hmm. whole history. Um, so we can't control your partner. We can't force anyone to be any way. 
that's their job, but we can take part of your 50 part, 50% of your relationship and work on you. So mm. even if you are dating someone who is, say, sexually needy, sexually perhaps even abusive, right, or manipulative, um, we can't change that person, but we can start taking care of your healthy boundaries. We can start looking perhaps into your codependency. We can start looking into what you think or what you know to be a healthy libido. And maybe your libido was actually very healthy, but now you're met mm. this person and it seems like you're the broken one, but that might or might not be true. Or, I mean, it might just not, it might just be that there's no compatibility there. I mean, maybe, maybe they both have a, a healthy libido for them, but it's just yeah. different to one another, you know? Um, do you know the show Love is Blind on Ooh. Netflix? I don't know. Oh, I man. Okay. It. So, <laughs> um, no, maybe not. <laughs> okay. So, I don't often, I'm not a reality show person, but there's one reality show that I watch religiously, and it's called Love is Blind, where um, basically people go on blind dates and they don't see each other. They're talking through like a wall. Mm. And the whole concept of the show is if you build an emotional connection with somebody, uh, or a mental connection with somebody, once you meet face-to-face, -face, can love last. And oh, wow. it's, it's a very psychological show. I love it. It's on Netflix. There's three seasons already. I binge that stuff in a couple of days. Um, but the main question is, yeah, is love blind? Because here you are building this beautiful emotional connection with someone, and then you see them, and you're like, oh, okay, you're not really my type. And mm. every time I want to scream that, look, it's not about whether love is blind, but... It's about compatibility. And because really the ultimate goal of the show is to, for people to get married. You know, after wow, okay. connecting for like a month. Mm -hmm. And love is just one part of a relationship. Mm -hmm. Compatibility, shared values, uh, shared lifestyles, friendship, commitment, partnership. Those are all very important parts of a relationship so we can love someone and still be completely incompatible but a lot of couples are torturing each other by staying in a relationship because they quote unquote love each other but that might not be enough mm. um, and so really again we keep coming back to the process of really knowing yourself and what is important to you and there's just some things that are absolutely non- negotiable i'll give you an example i can you and i could be in a relationship and let's say i want children and you don't mm. we still yeah. deeply love each other but you don't want kids and i do so we're not compatible yeah yeah, right? yeah. or you and i yeah or you and i could deeply love each other but you want to be polyamorous and i'm a monogamous kind of girl and so instead of really knowing yourself and what life you want, which is really the process of life is figuring the shit out, <laughs> we start battling each other on what is the right way? What is the right kind of sex in a relationship? What is the right relationship dynamic, right? You have a lot of polyamorous people trying to make everybody polyamorous. You've got the monogamists shaming everyone for trying to be monogamous. Like we're battling <laughs> back and forth. Instead of saying, look, we're just not compatible. And the same thing applies yeah. to sex. I know a lot of very 
chill, happy people who can have sex once every three months and it works for them. And they're not broken. They're not fucked up. It's just not on the top priority in their life. Other things are. And then there's other people for whom sex or a great sex life is in the top three of priorities in their life, right? Let's say it's, I don't know, money, food, (laughs) sex. That's it. Mm -hmm. That's how they are. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're right. It doesn't ultimately matter because you're not them and you're not living their life. And it's for them to figure that out. Yeah. And if they find someone who's compatible with them and has the same priorities as them, then great. Amazing. If it works, then it works. There's nothing unhealthy about not having sex as often as maybe someone next door to you does, you know? Um, And I've got some good news for you. I do definitely want children. So we're good. Um, (laughs) I'm a taken woman, but you know, next time I'm single, (laughs) I'll call you. (laughs) Um, and yeah, like my partner and I, honestly, it's, it's so interesting because even though I'm, you know, sex is my jam, like I love it. I I educate on it and talk about it all the time. It's my entire work. Like it's my livelihood. Um, and I'm a massive sex nerd. Like we don't have sex nearly as often as people would think, you know, and we're both totally compatible. We both have very similar levels of desire and similar priorities and we have we we really are into the quality over quantity and we're fine with that. Like it's great um, and it works for us. So it is interesting when I notice little um, conditioned beliefs or maybe external judge- judgments creeping in around, oh, like shouldn't you be having sex more often? You know, are you like an imposter being a sex coach who doesn't have sex like five times a week, you know? Um, and I keep that at bay because I completely, I know that's not how it works and I'm totally happy and um, content with my sex life. But it is really interesting because people place so much importance on how often do you have sex? And it's like, well, Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, like, is it good though? <laughs> do you actually feel like having it? Oh, absolutely. But I think it has to do a lot with this kind of, um, Like, we think that making a lot of money will make you happy. Mm. And, like, deep, deep, deep inside, I think you realize that's not true, but yet you're still chasing that money, Mm. right? So, like you said, those those thoughts start creeping up, like, oh, my God, like, am I successful unless I'm making, I don't know, what is it, six-figure salary. That's a very common (laughs) thing I see on Instagram right now. Everybody's a seven-figure goddess. Like, okay, Mm. I'm not. I'm so happy and chill. (laughs) (laughs) So the same thing operates in sex. It's like, there's a lot of couples out there who have a lot of peacefulness in their love life and they're not orgasming all over the walls every single day and they're not playing kinky games and they're not dressing up and they're not watching porn all the time and they're not masturbating all the day, but they're at peace and they're healthy Mm -hmm. and they love each other. But we don't talk about those couples. Totally. Right. And I think this yeah. comes to the place of the, the big difference between sexual happiness and sexual fulfillment. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are chasing the sexual happiness, meaning this kind of high intensity experiences, um, quantity, multiple partners, multiple orgasms, multiple dress ups, multiple, you know, lingerie toys experiences um, versus sexual fulfillment, which is really feeling so chill and at peace with your sex life. Yeah. 
cool. And love that. Enjoying those high intensity moments once in a while, but not needing them to feel good about yourself. You feel like you're enough as you are. To me, that sexual fulfillment is feeling good enough within yourself and within your partnership. And that experience is more peaceful. It's more relaxing. It's just more chill. <laughs> do, do you know the difference that I'm, I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm so glad you mentioned that. I've already, I feel like already this episode is just like above and beyond what, yeah, what I was expecting and what I think most people are going to expect to get from this. You know, I think probably everyone's like, all right, so like, how do I ramp up my libido? Let's go. And it's like, hang on. (laughs) And I feel so, I'm like the same whenever someone gets me on a podcast and asks me all of these standard questions. I'm like, oh, for fuck's sake, how long do we have? Like, it's not that simple. I cannot give you a one size fits all answer. Like, I'm sorry. That's why I have a job. It's a whole thing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, It's like if I ever... You know, if I ever go to, um, if I ever go to like a business conference or I don't know, I'll listen to some kind of podcast and you'd have someone who's in this, I don't know, hustle culture place where they're like, yeah, and hustle every day in a 5am morning routine. And then like by 7am, I've sent out a thousand emails and I did 20 cold calls. And you're thinking like, I'm still asleep by 9am. Like, am I, am I doing something wrong here? <laughs> You, when you start comparing yourself to others or you start comparing yourself to the loudest voices in the industry, you start feeling yeah. really shit and you start to yeah. question yourself. <laughs> and the yeah. same thing is happening in the sexuality industry. You have to really look at the people whom you're listening to and ask yourself the question, do I actually want their sex life? Does that sound like something I would want? Does that even sound healthy? Right. Because look, there's a lot of sex addicts who are sex therapists, just like there's a lot of people who um, are workaholics who are business masterminds. And there's a lot of people with eating disorders who are nutritional coaches. We have to be really careful because the intention of the people is always really beautiful. They found something that seems to work for them and they want to spread the message. But we don't know if it's the best message or if it's healthy or useful or needed for everybody because everyone is so different. And unfortunately in the way that the social media works or the way the internet works, the loudest people are the ones that get the most attention. And Mm. I was listening to a podcast the other day. They talked about how the people who on social media, who have the most followers, which therefore have the most attention and the highest, the loudest voice tend to be more on the narcissism spectrum. Mm, oh my god yeah and so that's really careful because then the people who are you know the celebrities the the people with i don't know millions of followers or even hundreds of followers are not necessarily um the same as everybody but they're the ones who are controlling the the status quo yeah does that make sense yeah yeah absolutely i think about this a lot and it yeah, I lose sleep on it a little bit actually because it's pretty frightening when you when you think about it and when you look at yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I mean, social media is a whole other beast, but it's sort of like in the business world as well. A lot of CEOs are narcissists. Um and I did an episode on narcissism actually um with Margie Bowden a while back. Would highly recommend everyone checking that out because that's pretty fascinating. Um but yeah, totally picking up what you're putting down, it is 
a bit of a shame uh, to say the least. <laughs> I need to get louder and be like, I hate sex that much. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Uh, um, all right. I want to slot in the segment, get pregnant and die before I get, I've got like all of these other questions just snowballing in my brain. So let's just press pause for a second before I get carried away. Um, and do the segment, get pregnant and die. Don't have sex because you will get pregnant and die. Don't have sex in the missionary position. Don't have, don't have sex standing up. Just don't do it. Promise. So I would love to hear a story from you about how your sex ed failed you, maybe how your sex ed was great. I don't know. Um, I don't know where you grew up. But yeah, a little sex ed anecdote for us. You know, because you sent me an email before this explaining this um, this concept yeah. and you mentioned the Mean Girls and I was like, shit, I've actually never watched Mean Girls. <laughs> I don't know how I missed that because I feel like that is my generation movie, but... Totally. Girl, what are you been doing? Some, and I'm like, I, I'm going to watch this later tonight. Too busy um, watching uh, Love is Blind. Probably. Oh, my gosh. Probably. That's that's my TMI. I, I'm a Love is Blind junkie. Um, Guilty pleasure. <laughs> okay, story. Um, well, my story is very sad, actually, because I grew up in the Soviet Union. I'm a kid of the 80s. And... I've had zero sex education. In fact, I've been scared um, into the idea that my job as a woman is to look hot, mm. have a lot of sex with my husband, even if it hurts. And so the messages that I grew up with is you have to have sex with your husband all the time. Otherwise, he's going to leave you. You have to stay skinny. Otherwise, he's going to leave you. You have to stay hot. Otherwise, he's going to leave you. Um, if you know he's cheating on you, close your eyes on that because if you divorce him, you're going to have kids and you're going to be old and then no one will take you again. So this is my upbringing is so much fear. And so part of my own sexual healing journey was realizing that a lot of my sexual behavior has really been governed by fear and insecurity. And I've always considered myself to be a highly beautiful woman until I realized I'm not a highly beautiful woman. I'm an anxious woman and I'm constantly having all the sex and I'm being creative and I'm being kinky and I'm being, you know, this pornographic woman in bed. But ultimately it's not because I actually enjoy it, but because deep inside I'm afraid that if I'm not, I'm going to be abandoned or I'm going to be cheated on. And so that process was very, very humbling for me to go through and to completely restructure and recalibrate my own libido to make sure that it comes from love and the desire to connect and peacefulness and a way to just express myself and share that moment with my partner rather than put out for fear that if I don't, he's going to go to somebody else. And so that was my sexual upbringing. Thanks, grandma, mom, aunties, <laughs> and my culture. Oh my God. How the fuck did you unhook from all of that sort of like cultural conditioning and like wind up? I mean, that's a big question, but like, yeah, was there a pivotal moment or like, yeah, how did you get to where you are now? I went through almost a decade of chronic vaginal pain in my 20s, um, mainly because I was having this kind of pornographic sex with a man who 
didn't love me, didn't nurture me, didn't care for me. Uh, both of us were mimicking pornography. I was 21 and mm -hmm. sex was painful for me. And I remember my grandma once telling me, honey, if it hurts, just smile. That was oh the God. messaging I received as a teenage girl. And so as I'm having sex with my boyfriend, it hurts because of course there was no arousal. There's, I mean, there's just so many things that are going wrong mm. and I am gritting my teeth and I'm smiling and I'm faking an orgasm as it hurts. Yeah. And after six months of horrible, painful sex, my body just shut down on me and I developed chronic vaginal pain and mm. went through a whole journey with that, but ultimately brought me to the work that I do these days and mm. became my sexual awakening, became really my awakening to my entire life and pushed me into self-development, therapy, doing the work and learning about sacred sexuality and how the yeah. world is really missing out on love making mm. yep oh my god thank you so much for sharing that sounds like a massive journey and yeah wow unsurprising that you sort of wound up becoming so fascinated in it that it's now become your passion and your job that's kind of a similar similar deal to me so yeah wow it's the path of the wounded healer <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah totally I think that's the story of so many healers in this world. You know, you, yeah, you go into yeah. your own pain to really have that wake up moment mm, and pain yeah, becomes your absolutely. teacher. Yeah. 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 And I feel like, you know, we'd be so much more equipped to empathize and to understand and relate and therefore help our clients because we've kind of been there, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and this is what the kind of work I really want to do is help women untangle from all this fear and insecurity within their sexualities. I don't want to be someone who is, you know, selling sex toys every day and promoting pleasure and orgasms because that's just one tiny part of the human sexual mm. experience. Mm. You know, if you are using your body and your sexuality to gain this distorted form of love and attention, you're never going to be happy. Right? It doesn't matter how hot you look and how many vibrators you have if you're having sex out of obligation. It doesn't matter how hot your boyfriend is if you are dreading the next time you're going to have sex with him. Yeah. It doesn't matter even if you orgasm if you're feeling deeply unloved by the person that you're having sex with. Yeah. Or you are worried that if you don't have sex with them, they're going to go to somebody else. So I really like to work on such a, on a much deeper level beyond the surface stuff, because I feel like that's the root cause of all of our pain and suffering is this fear that you are not enough, that you are not good enough. And so much of that is now being pushed into a woman's sexuality. It's such an instant gratification, right? And the modern world is calling it empowerment. I deeply disagree. Mm. Because it's empowerment for a short minute, right? You, you come in, you look sexy, you take sexy photos, you act sexual, you get that instant gratification, that attention, that validation. Men want to date you, men want to fuck you. But someone wanting to fuck you is not the same as someone deeply loving you, respecting you, caring for you, calling you again. Yeah. Um, but yeah. that takes work, that takes love, that takes longer to feel that way. And we're just all instant gratification junkies, right? We need that, that dopamine hit right here, right now. 
Yeah. And of course, we, we gravitate towards that. Yeah. yeah, big time, absolutely. And sort of reminds me of something um, that you, you were sort of mentioning earlier around us valuing, obviously we value the instant gratification, we value the big and the loud and the in-your-face, and we really value um, – high libido or, or our society does anyway. And so there's, um, uh, I don't know how much you know about spontaneous versus responsive arousal patterns, but I feel as though um, we see portrayed in the media, in movies, in porn, this really spontaneous arousal pattern, which is like, you know, drop of a hat, all of a sudden horny, ready to go, don't need any warm up, whatever anything turns us on. And it's like, what the fuck? That's actually like not that common for female bodied people to have a spontaneous arousal style, but it's really like glorified. So then of course, if we have responsive arousal style, which you can go into this more, um, but yeah, like it's just so undervalued and seen as like, oh no, I must be broken. I don't have a high libido. I don't want to have sex as easily as like, you know, men do or, you know, I see people in the movies. So like, is that something that you sort of talk to people about as well? Those different patterns of arousal? All the time. (laughs) (laughs) All the time. I'm really happy you bring this up. Look, there's one thing that is, it's almost like a taboo to talk about this, that the fact that men and women are different. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about males and females here. Um, One of the main differences is our physiology and we've got to talk about it because there is this underlining concept now that we're all equal and we're all the same and so women are now feeling broken because they don't want to have sex or they don't experience sex like men but one of the reasons that we don't is because of our physiology look Mm. men have a penis right okay let's talk males have a penis and i'll be very crude When that penis goes up, it feels really delicious to put it inside warm, (laughs) tight, moisty places. And that's just the reality. And it ultimately doesn't matter if that warm, moist place belongs to a dumb woman or a smart woman, a woman with a higher degree or a lower degree, a woman who's funny or pretty boring. It doesn't matter because the physical experience feels really delicious. Mm -hmm. Right? It's... The male experience of sex is low risk. If a man goes, if picks up a girl at a bar at night, goes to her house, the worst thing that's going to happen to him is she'll, she might reject him, right? They might get to the house and he, she says, I changed my mind. And he's like, fuck, I spent 25 euros on an Uber. Fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll be disappointed and he'll go home, right? That's really the worst thing that can happen to him. Maybe he gets an STD, but that's easily fixed. Let's look at the female experience. She's drunk. She's at a nightclub. A guy picks her up. She goes to his house. So many dangers that can happen to her. She can pass out and be abused. He can physically overpower her. She might decide she doesn't want to have sex anymore, but he can manipulate, guilt trip her, physically abuse her. There might be other men in that house. She might get pregnant. She might contract an STD which can ultimately lead to infertility and all kinds of issues. She can contract yeast infections that can lead to three years of chronic yeast infections. There's Mm -hmm. so many risks for women. And the number one difference between males and females is we don't have a penis. 
We have a hole in our body. We have a vagina, which is so hypersensitive. And that means that it is being penetrated. That is a whole different experience to male sex. Sex happens inside of our body. It is so vulnerable to let someone in you. And that means that whoever is going in you needs to have respect, do it tenderly, do it carefully, do it at the right time, give you plenty of time to arouse, to lubricate, not penetrate you in a rough, selfish way, to stop when it's no longer feeling good for you. Like there's so many factors that need to align for a woman to have a pleasurable experience. So it only makes sense that we as females need to be extra careful when we choose the people that we have sex with and in which context. And that needs to be talked about more. Unfortunately, the whole concept is be like men and therefore you're equal. And it's not leading us to really great places. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, you're speaking my language, something they talk about a lot. And yeah, I know there might be like this really hardcore, like form of feminism that want to assert that we are the same and we're equal and stuff, but like we can be equal and also different, you know, and we just don't like sexually in terms of like the physiology, the arousal processes that happen in a female body, um, that require, are required to actually feel pleasure, you know, like chemically what goes on and Mm -hmm. it's just a completely different story and like often I'm just telling people like it's not actually that you are the broken one your body is behaving exactly how it's designed to and it's trying to function normally in a broken system in a broken world in broken types of relationship dynamics and you know like we're not given enough time to become aroused or enough safety to feel you know that we can relax into the parasympathetic nervous system and therefore have access to that beautiful arousal cascade that you know results in engorgement and lubrication like there's just you know and then also like to go back to the spontaneous versus responsive like you know, the majority of male-bodied people have spontaneous arousal, which means they can get turned on really quickly and get horny over, like, fuck all. And the majority of female-bodied people have responsive arousal, um, which means that we need some kind of sexually relevant stimuli. Like, we need a lot more and and something needs to happen um, that leads into us actually responding with arousal and and turn on and feeling like having sex. And for me, that's like not even until, you know, even though I'm super attracted to my partner, he's like a full sex god. Like you look at him and you're like, my eyes are bleeding. You're so fucking hot. And I still (laughs) feel like that, you know, and I always will. I I have no doubt. He's just an inside and out as well. So I like adore this person. But I very rarely just like look at him and I'm like, you are so sexy. And also my pussy's wet and ready to go. It's like, no, it's not until I've had a massage and he's maybe done some other foreplay and we're actually engaging in like pleasurable touch where I've had enough time to relax and and wind down and he's making me feel worshipped and honoured and respected and listened to and he's intuitive. You know, it's like all of those things need to happen for me to actually then feel my body go, Oh, yeah, fuck yeah, no, I want to be penetrated. You know? You and every other female on the planet. The problem is we're treating (laughs) male sex as the status quo. That's the porn Mm -hmm. sex. Porn was created Mm -hmm. by men for men. And so the sex that's portrayed there 
is for the male experience. And also mm-hmm. it's not, you know, it, it, it's the goal of porn is to get you to come as soon as possible mm-hmm. and get you addicted to that. And then keep coming back to the, all the, to all the websites. Yeah. Yeah. That's not yeah. what human sex looks like. Totally. And we all know it and yet we still perform it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Um, I, I, there's one thing that, and I heard it somewhere a while ago and I thought it was so beautifully said because people will refer to the, just to expand more on the spontaneous arousal, they'll refer to the beginning of their relationships and be like, but it was like, by the time we got home from a date, I just want to like rip his clothes off and I'm dripping in my panties. That was so spontaneous. And I just sit there thinking, girl, that was the most orchestrated long arousal of your entire life because let's look at it you match with a guy on tinder (laughs) and you're chatting for a few days you are officially in foreplay yeah and then he asks you out he says let's meet on saturday night and let's say it's a thursday so then from thursday to saturday you are thinking about this guy you are fantasizing you are planning your outfit then Saturday comes. What are you doing? You are having a healthy breakfast. You're skipping garlic because you want to have nice breath. You are shaving your legs. You're picking out an outfit. All of that is foreplay. Then you show up on a date and your heart is beating because you're in this beautiful human experience where he could be the one, right? So already you're just projecting this ideal perfection, this beautiful heart hopefulness on this man. Yeah. And let's say the date goes really well. So the whole time you're sitting there with him and he's making the perfect jokes and he's cute and he smells nice, that's foreplay. Mm-hmm. So by the time you finish your dinner and you go to the movie and he walks you home and you have your first kiss and even if you bring him up to your house, you've been in foreplay since Wednesday. Yeah. <laughs> so of course your panties are dripping. Of course you're coming fast. Of course because your foreplay has been lasting four days and then what do you do afterwards you plan another date and then you can't wait to see him and then that whole foreplay process begins all over again and so by the time you see him the second date the third date the fourth date you are orchestrating non-touching sex the entire time yeah. So that by the time you actually get to physically touch each other, you've been in foreplay for hours and hours and hours, sometimes days. Totally. And so sex at the beginning of the relationship is actually the most orchestrated, the most planned out sex of the entire relationship. Because fast forward that to two years into being together, you're on the couch with, you know, with your mom bun and your sweatpants and a mustard stain on your shirt, looking at each other going, hmm don't really feel sexy. <laughs> Why isn't my pussy wet? <laughs> totally. Oh. Because you woke up like this and now you're still looking at this at 7 p.m. And because the vibe isn't there, because you're not dripping your panties for days and days on end, you're not actually emotionally connecting, you're not doing anything fun, you're not enjoying each other, you're not even friends, you just deeply resent each other. And then you're blaming one another for not being turned on. Mm heavy <laughs> and you're expecting it to be instant <laughs> does that sound familiar i've been in relationships like this in my 20s oh god yeah yep yep um yep <laughs> i mean what more needs to be said totally right? and then what do you do a lot of women 
Yeah. And then a lot of women will be like, I want to go on a date. And your husband looks at you like, ugh, this woman needs so much to get turned on. And it's like, yeah, this is what we did two years ago, honey. And it worked like magic. Uh huh. And I think people have such resistance around scheduling sex dates or pleasure dates or just date dates, basically, when they've been together for a while. And they're like, no, but I want it to be spontaneous. It's not going to, it's not romantic if we have to plan it and schedule it in. And like, it's so forced. And it's like, well, actually, it's probably going to be more of an exciting, tantalizing little build up to that than it would. I mean, it would be if you just didn't plan it and then like, plot twist it just didn't happen and you just didn't have like are you waiting around to have spontaneous sex for months when you could actually just be scheduling it in and I mean but the the other thing that made me um what how you were taught what oh my god what you're talking about just made me think of is um how uh women really love mystery and we find uh novelty really sort of erotic and exciting and that leads me to my next question around like in a long-term relationship that is like really solid and great. Um, so like not that husband that you just described and that level of resentment and stagnancy, but like a beautiful relationship where like the spark has just kind of died off because um, I think it's, I think I read in Wednesday Martin's book untrue that women's uh, desire in a long-term relationship drops away like sort of two or three times quicker than a man's does. Like we lose interest sexually. We get kind of bored and we need that novelty and mystery. So like what what are you kind of uh, – how do you work with someone when they're in like an actually healthy relationship more or less but it's just been a few years and the desire is sort of like waning and dropping away? Excuse the interruption, my loves, but I'm shamelessly seeking reviews and five-star ratings for the potty because, as I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's pretty fab, and the more people who get to hear it, the more people it can help. Reviews and ratings help me curry favor with the algorithmic gods and get suggested to other listeners to check out. Plus, they make me feel really good and appreciated as I continue to pour my heart and soul into creating this baby for you. And I promise I don't maz over them or anything. I mostly just tuck them away for a rainy day when I'm filled with self-doubt and existential dread about being self-employed, which is fairly frequently. (laughs) So you see, leaving a review really does make a difference and it's an easy little act of support that you can take in just a minute or two by either going to Spotify and leaving five stars for the show or writing a written review and leaving five stars over on Apple Podcasts. Choose your poison, or if you're a real overachiever, you could do both. Whoa now. If you are writing a review, though, just be sure to only use G-rated words, because despite the fact that this is a podcast about sexuality, words like sex can be censored and your review won't actually show up. Lame. Anyway. Oh, oh, what was that? Oh, you're going to go do it right now while I wait. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a great idea. May as well just quickly click that five-star button before we get on with it and, you know, like forget about it and get on with your day. Um, um, oh, I'm hearing them roll in. I'm hearing those five stars. <laughs> oh my God, I make myself cringe. Anyway, uh, thank you much, Lee. You're a total gem and I'll let you get back to the episode now. Very good question. Again, we don't have enough time (laughs) to like, we could do whole podcasts on this. Look, I have a very different approach to this because, um, we've been conditioned to be turned on by novelty. And when that is the only thing that turns you on, 
then it's only natural that at some point the novelty finishes and you're stuck. Yeah. Um, and then a lot of sex therapists and coaches will tell you, just bring handcuffs into the bedroom and rub each other with chocolate and have a threesome. What they're doing is they're trying to shove more novelty into your relationship. Mm. And so you're constantly chasing the novelty aspect of it. It's like, it's like you're used to going out and drinking. And then if you stop drinking, then you don't really enjoy going out anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And if you do go out, you're like, where's my, you know, where's my cosmopolitan instead of learning to enjoy yourself without the alcohol. Mm. So the way that I like to guide women into a whole new level of arousal, which is not an arousal based on novelty and mystery and role play, but arousal based on emotional connection and vulnerability. Mm. And that is a whole deep level that most people don't trust in and they don't want to explore it because it feels different. It's not this high intensity, fuck me now, I'm dripping in my panties arousal. It's more calm and nurturing of um, feeling close, feeling really warm, feeling really open in your heart and really taking your time. And so what I'm really talking about is lovemaking. Mm, yeah. I'm not talking about, let me, you know, put on a show for you and get really aroused. I'm talking about, let's just be together and really take our time and connect heart to heart, body to body and give each other time to get into that arousal. That's not high intensity but rather very relaxing mm. and that's the concept of conscious sexuality that's really tantra that's love making that's slow sex yeah. yeah that's not fiery that's not um really even connected to male ejaculation or clitoral orgasms but is much much deeper mm. uh, for anyone who wants to know what i'm talking about check out the work by diana richardson i think she's really the the queen of slow sex. It's the kind of sex that's not performative. You're not chasing orgasms. You're not even chasing arousal. You are just mm. together Connection. inside of each other. And it's very cozy. Mm. <laughs> it's very relaxing. That's the kind of sex I personally really enjoy having. That's 90% of my sex life. Yeah, um, me too. And you don't need novelty for that. You don't need high desire for that. You just mm. need to show up and be there. Have you have you experienced this kind of sex? Oh, fuck yeah. That's the only sex I have. I'm so, like, so I remember someone... So you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember someone asking about, they were talking about kinks, and they're like, what's, what's kinky to you? Like, what's your sort of kink? And I was like, literally just being super in love with someone and them super loving me back. Like I just, I'm, I'm pretty fucking vanilla. I literally don't need any more than that. I've never, um, I'm actually pretty, um, it's not very common, like my, my sort of experience, uh, with sex, but I've, I've never watched porn. I've never, um, kind of become addicted to the, the really intense stimuli and that sort of like intensity to get results, you know, like I'm quite fortunate, um, that I sort of never, I don't know, tread, tread that path because personally I really do feel completely satisfied and, and satiated and fulfilled and nourished by lovemaking. Like it, that real, real sort of like conscious connect, connection, heart-based sex, you know, um, which isn't, and, and it's really interesting because I, I, people will talk about 
a new lover or they'll be like, oh, my God, the connection, the sexual connection, it was wild. There was like so much chemistry. It's so fiery and it was so intense. It was like, whoa. And I'm just like, that doesn't sound good to me. Like, awesome, go you. But like that's not – that to me, that's like almost like uh, a sort of – a barrier to connection almost it's like a way that you might be able to uh trick yourself into thinking there's more connection there than there really is if you strip back all the bells and whistles and the excitement and mystery and like almost like risk of the more kind of kinky fiery and like I'm I feel like I'm going to be putting my foot in it talking about this um because I'm definitely not kink shaming or anything like that but do you sort of feel like sometimes people use uh, kinks and all of that more BDSM side of things um, as a, I don't know, like is it is it always healthy or do you think sometimes it's actually an avoidance of deeper, softer connection? Absolutely. We're going to get so much shit for this, huh? Totally. Um, <laughs> you know, I spent the last five years um, being really afraid to talk about this kind of stuff. Um, I'm not anymore because we need to be talking about this. Mm. Um, number one, (laughs) sometimes I meet people who are like, I'm so sexually open-minded. I have multiple lovers and I, and I dress up and I peg men and you know, I'm really kinky. And I say, do you ever have sex when you look the other person in the eye and you just slow down and make love? And they're like, ew. (laughs) And I'm like, then you're not sexually (laughs) open-minded. Yeah, because it's really easy to put on an outfit. It's really easy to almost dissociate, disconnect, yeah. and just yeah. perform. And look, it can be very fun. Um, just like it's really fun to have a few drinks and go out at a party. My question is, can you party and be completely sober? Yeah. Can you go to a music festival and drink water and have a fantastic time yeah. and go home and be like, that was amazing. So I apply the same thing to sex. Yeah. Can you make love? Can you be vulnerable? Can you be brutally naked in your heart and soul with someone and look someone in the eye for more than a second Mm. and get emotional? Mm. And to bring it back to the question that you asked, not all kink is created equal. And some kink is definitely based in trauma. Yeah. It is an eroticized pain. Mm. When we experience really intense abuse, um, emotional pain in childhood, our little brains that are still undeveloped are unable to conceptualize what's actually happening, right? We, we may look at ourselves back then and be like, well, mom was emotionally unavailable because she was struggling with her own stuff. Yeah, but at the time, you don't realize that because you're still a kid, you don't think that way. Yeah. And so you take that pain of abandonment and you eroticize it. That's a coping mechanism that happens for you. And for some people, their trauma turns into kinky urges and kinky behaviors. Mm. Um, Now, it's not about the kink itself. It's about the individual. So every single person is very different. You can take 10 people who have the same kink, but they all have it for different reasons. The kink developed... in different ways and their experience of the kink, their intensity, the need for this kink is very different for every person. And so again, you have to look at every single person individually. Yeah. 
because some people are controlled by their kink. Mm. Mm-hmm. Some people are imprisoned in their kink. Mm. And again, it's such a taboo to talk about because, you know, we're all about free expression these days, but some people are not actually liberated and they're not free. They are imprisoned in their own childhood traumas that they are processing and self-soothing through kinky behavior. Yeah, totally. And more than ever, these people need support, love, compassion, understanding, non-judgment to help them get out of it because you can be stuck in it your whole life or for decades. You're basically re-traumatizing yourself every single time. Mm. Yeah, wow. Thank you for going there. I feel I feel like yeah, this I I'm you know, just we're definitely not yucking anyone's yum. Um, but it is really interesting how a lot of people are like I'm so sex positive and I look at it and I go, I think you're so traumatized actually. And that's no one's like fault, obviously. Um, and I feel like I'm gonna get crucified for for this, but I think it's such an important thing to talk about because now that there's this whole wave of like sexual empowerment and female empowerment, it's like in amongst there, like you touched on earlier, there is like so much room for so much like murky, misinformed shit. Um Yeah. 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 This stuff is so hard to research because it's incredibly subjective. And a lot of people grow up completely traumatized and A, they don't remember it or they don't even realize. Yeah. You know, part of my own personal journey has been realizing that I actually grew up in a severely emotional abusive home. And so a lot of my stuff that I've been struggling with, everything from my physical symptoms to my behaviors to my lack of boundaries mm. is from my childhood. Um, so by doing the work, you start to unfold all these understandings of why you are how you are. And as long as you have someone to guide you with love through that, and as long as you guide yourself with love through that, then it's all going to be okay, right? So the goal is not to judge someone who is in kink. The goal is to hold the space for them to heal Mm. and to learn to truly love themselves. And as I've guided the women through the process, I can tell you this. You guide a woman through her, for example, libido, but in the process, she's doing a lot of childhood healing. And you notice that over the span of one or two years, her kinks, they start to dissolve. Mm -hmm. And we're not even trying, we're not even going into her kinks. We're not trying to change her kinks, but she just stops needing those things. She stops having those fantasies. She stops fixating on certain um, experiences at sex. It's like, as you start to heal your heart and the wounding in your heart, things begin to dissolve. Mm. But this is so hard to study. It's so hard to quantify through research because it's very anecdotal and it's very individual that we don't have any research on this. It's, It's almost impossible to have research on this we just have you know you can talk to different therapists or coaches who say yeah this happens all the time Mm, wow that a a male or a female client will enter a healing process with you and two years into it they're not into the same things they're not turned on by the same things Mm. Um, one example and i think you've mentioned it too is the, the concept of like trauma bonding that's a great example i think we've all agreed that trauma bonding is not healthy but it's incredibly sexy. <laughs> so if we can all agree that trauma bonding to, let's say, emotionally unavailable men or narcissistic men is not healthy, can we all start 
getting into a place where we can start agreeing that not all kinky behavior is healthy, mm. even though it feels very sexy in the moment. Yeah, yeah. Big, big. But it's a very tough conversation to have. Isn't it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm super glad we went there because it's something that I've thought about a bit. And, you know, as you were saying, there's not a lot of research, so it is a tricky thing. It's mostly just things – it's mostly just my own thoughts and theories, so I don't, like, push it on anyone and I don't talk about it very often. But um, I am definitely in the business of having these sort of conversations that need to be had and and we don't have definitive answers necessarily but we're exploring it and it sort of reminds me a little bit of like the same feeling I got when I I did a double episode on porn addiction and on porn and the effects it has on the brain and relationships and sex lives and I had this same feeling of like oh god people are gonna hate me like fuck there's gonna be some backlash and I'm like nowhere near as important as all that (laughs) like no one hardly anyone listens to this let's be honest but I was like "Uh oh (laughs) this is controversial and I also like my biggest fear isn't that I'm gonna be um, you know, cancelled. My fear is that I'm going to make people feel shitty or abnormal or as though there's something wrong with them because, you know, they watch Portal because they have kinks. And that is 100%. I just want to reiterate, not what I want to do and not my intention at all. But I think it's just so important to explore this. It's interesting how, how scared we all get around this whole concept of judgment. Mm-hmm. But look, um, if you're masturbating five times a day, something is wrong. It doesn't mean you are a bad person, but it means that you are probably in a lot of mental and emotional pain mm. and you are using orgasm to self-soothe yourself. Mm. Yeah. The same way that if you're shooting up heroin or you're smoking meth, something is wrong. Yeah. It's not that you are wrong, but something is wrong in you. You are in pain. Yeah. And part of my own personal coaching development has been to enter in that really confident space to hold that for someone. A lot of coaches are afraid to trigger their clients because they don't want to be the bad guy. I will trigger the shit out of you. I want to have these really hard conversations with you because that's the place where we grow Mm. is when we face these uncomfortable feelings within ourselves, right? No one wants to judge each other. I argue the opposite. Look, if, if I'm, in a, I'm in a relationship, if all of a sudden I start telling my girlfriends that I'm cheating on my man, I want them to judge me. I want them to take me aside and be like, Elena, what are you doing? Yeah. Look, we love you and you have a great guy. What's going on? Yeah. I want them to make that judgment because I trust my girlfriends mm. to have my best in mind. So they're not judging me to be assholes. They're judging me because they see from the side that I'm doing something that is not of the best benefit and is not an integrity. Mm, yeah. The same way that if my partner starts noticing me overeating at night or boozing a bottle <laughs> of wine a day, I want him to judge me and be like, honey, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Accountability. So we are so afraid to judge, but you have to understand where that judgment comes from. If someone on the internet you've never met is judging you, that's one thing. But if the people who love and care for you or the people who you have hired to guide you, such as a therapist or a coach, trust their judgment. Just trust it for a minute and look into it mm. together mm. from love, from respect, from creating that safety to be guided. Yeah. Because otherwise, what everyone is doing, we're washing our hands. We're like, I don't judge anyone. I can't judge you. I can't judge you. 
<laughs> yeah. We're not going to get anywhere because then everyone will just start totally destroying their lives. Totally. And now there's this like massive cancel culture and it's like, oh, well, if you don't agree with, well, not agree with, but if you, you know, make any kind of comment on something such as kink or porn, it's like, oh, well, you're not sex positive. That's shamey. And it's like, hang on, like not necessarily. And I think something that is kind of dangerous about the things we're talking about, sex, porn, sex addictions, you know, different uh, ways of having sex, it's all happening in private, behind closed doors, shrouded in shame and stigma. So, like, a lot of the time there can't be that accountability. It's not like a guy's going, hey, dude, I had noticed that you're watching porn like heaps. Are you okay? It's like, no, no one's talking about their porn habits and not everyone is talking about the way that their husband fucking jackhammer bones them until their cervix practically bleeds and you know they just fake an orgasm because you know like it's we're not yeah. <laughs> we're not really equipped to begin with and then also it's such a taboo stigmatized topic that happens sort of in privacy so there can't be an intervention from your family about this like painful sex you're having yeah. and there can't be an intervention about these like yeah. unhelpful masturbation habits that are clearly a cry or a, a red flag that there's something internally going on that's out of balance or, you know, unhappy. So tricky one. <laughs> Absolutely. I, again, I, I say judgment, I think is really important. I think shame is really important. Shame shows you your internal experience. You know, if I, I don't know, if, if, I don't know if I've been bitchy to a friend and I feel shame for that. That's a good shame. Mm -hmm. That shows me that I did something wrong, that I hurt my friend or mm -hmm. I don't know, lied to my friend. I need to have that experience. And at the same time, I have to give myself grace to like, oh shit, I misbehaved. Let's say I lied. I need to go and apologize. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I didn't have any shame, if I have no shame, that means I'm on the narcissism scale and that's real yeah. dangerous. <laughs> Yeah. then we're talking about psychopaths and sociopaths. So shame is a very useful experience. It can guide you into the core of what's really going on. You know, and, and, and to bring up the pornography, <laughs> arguing for pornography is like arguing for white sugar. The whole world is eating white sugar. We know it's bad for us. Yeah. <laughs> and yet we're all eating it. We're dying from diabetes. We're dying from heart disease. The whole world is physically fucked. And yet we're like, well, you know, everyone else is eating white sugar. So I'm just going to have some too. And it's addictive. And then you have these few individuals. Yeah, it's addictive. I can't really help it. It's always in the house. <laughs> and then you have those few individuals who are like, fuck this. I'm not going to have white sugar. And that's it. They're living a good life. So... Just because it's common, just because everybody else is doing it, doesn't mean that it's a great thing. Totally, um, totally. Yeah, so many parallels I, 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 with the porn and the sugar. <laughs> it's amazing. I, I heard the Yeah, so, you know, like I, I read it. And look, I have white sugar once in a while too. I had a tiramisu at a birthday party the other day. <laughs> I felt shit immediately. I'm back to not having any. But it's, again, it's about having that awareness. And there's a difference between sugar once in a while and sugar every single day. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I watched, there was a reel by, who said it? Anyway, someone said that in today's world, a 12-year-old boy has more access to naked women than any big leader, king or tsar, has mm -hmm. ever had in the entire 
human race in history. Yeah. Yeah. It's frightening. That's terrifying. And to sit here and be like, just watch porn. It's not a big deal. It's a very big deal. Yeah. A very big deal. Yeah. Big time. And we are blind to this whole thing that's happening because we don't want to judge or because we want to be sex positive. Yeah. But there's horror happening all over the world from the insane access that kids have. Yeah. Boys as young as 10 are now accessing pornography. This is not okay. Oh my God. This is not okay. Do not like, I will argue you till the end of days that this is not okay. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. And I, I, like if, if ever, if anyone is interested in this topic, or even if you're like, hang on a second, I don't like what you guys are saying, go and listen. I did a double two episodes with Catherine Lyle on porn, and it is astounding. You'll learn a lot. They're some of my favorite episodes. I feel like, Elena, you would get behind it. It's like, it's so important to get it out there. Um, but just before I forget, I wanted to jump back to what you're saying about shame because I think that's such an interesting take and I totally agree. But then I also just wanted to make sure I mentioned that like shame has also been weaponized against us when it comes to things like sex. So it's like tricky to tell if it's good shame or bad yeah. shame because like, yeah, like what if you're just feeling shame for having, like I used to feel shame for having any kind of sexual pleasure, even if it was with a partner that I loved. I I felt shame around almost every part of sex and I know that a lot of my clients do so it's it's like just important to note that yeah even though shame is a helpful and um yeah it's like a useful emotion that has its place and it's got a purpose um and that's to keep us accountable and keep us good humans it also has been kind of um warped and weaponized against us as well absolutely but I mean I feel like that's probably with every every emotion I mean we're we're weaponized anger like all these emotions are very useful it it just depends on which way you use Mm. them right if if someone is feeling ashamed and then we cancel them that's not really useful (laughs) but if someone is feeling shame and we hold that space for them to to feel it to go into it to understand why it is there Mm -hmm. um unfortunately we're not doing that we're just canceling left and right or we're judging left and right and we're looking at everyone else and we're not looking at ourselves yeah yeah (laughs) Well, speaking of shame, uh, I've got a segment, TMI, we love it. And it is basically designed to strip back any shame and stigma around topics that might usually be associated with shame and stigma. So do you have a little TMI story for us? Hey, me again. If you'd like to support the potty and you've already given it five stars on whatever platform you're listening on, I want to mention that you can buy some really dope merch from the website and get yourself a labia lounge tote, tea, togs. Yep, you heard that right. I even have labia lounge bathers or a cute fanny pack if that'd blow your hair back. So uh, if fashion isn't your passion, though, you can donate to my Buy Me A Coffee donation page, which is actually called Buy Me A Soy Chai Latte because... I'll be the first to admit, I'm a bit of a Melbourne cafe tosser like that. And yes, that is my coffee order. (laughs) 
You can do a once-off donation or an ongoing membership and sponsor me for as little as three fat ones a month. And I also have a Sunroom profile over on the Sunroom app, as I've mentioned. And I also offer one-on-one coaching and online courses that'll help you level up your sex life and relationship with yourself and others in a really big way. So every bit helps because it ain't cheap to put out a sweet podcast uh, into the world every week out of my own pocket. So I will be undyingly grateful if you support me and my biz financially in any of these ways. And if you like, I'll even give you a mental BJ with my mind from the lounge itself. Saucy. And um, I'll pop the links in the show notes. Thank you. Later. You know, I've been thinking about it since last night, since you um, <laughs> you told me about the TMI uh, tradition on your podcast. Um, well, I had a question for you. What kind of stories do people usually share? Um, oh, let me see. Sometimes it's around, around like a first time sexual experience or a period kind of blooper, um, or even like, you know, sometimes something to do with mental health or stuff that people just don't normally talk about because it's private and, you know, they, they're embarrassed or whatever. So, yeah, it could be kind of anything. It's it's interesting when I ask people that work around sex because it's like, well, everything I talk about every day is TMI to normal people, you know? <laughs> um, I want to do a little twist on this actually and share more about um, – not my personal stories, but rather um, something I've noticed happening, Mm. which is almost this kind of oversharing that is happening in the world. Okay. (laughs) And what I mean by that is is bringing an awareness of um, knowing who your audience is that you're sharing with and if those people are safe to share with and what is your ultimate intention Mm. of sharing the information that you're sharing. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. So I'm often, (laughs) whenever I show up anywhere, let's say it's on an airplane or at a dinner party, you know, people will start asking you, what do you do for work? And after I mention what I do for work, I'm often getting bombarded with people just immediately going into a sharing mode. I'm kind of this walking confessional booth for people. (laughs) (laughs) And I've become very careful with that because A, I'm here at a party. I just want to have a good time. I don't want to coach you or hold the space for you. I just want to eat this turkey, you know, or I'm on an airplane. I just want to watch a movie. I don't want to hear about your wife, how she doesn't sleep with you. Like, let's not go there. I don't know you. (laughs) You're just sitting next to me on an airplane seat. Um, but the, I'm noticing that the intention behind sharing has been a really good one, right? It's, it's bringing darkness into the light. It's creating more awareness. It's not hiding in shame. It's Mm -hmm. not hiding in secrecy. But we have to be very, very aware of whom we are sharing with. And perhaps sharing your dirtiest, naughtiest secrets on the internet with 5,000 complete strangers on the internet is not a good idea. Perhaps it is. Also depends on the story. So, the, you know, I always talk about the importance of vulnerability. I have learned also in my personal experience that 
I love being vulnerable, but I've learned that I cannot be vulnerable with everyone. Yeah. That there are certain people in my life that I was TMI with, that I have shared with fully, that I was vulnerable with. And those people went off and gossiped about me. Mm. They uh, used it against me. For example, I've been in relationships with narcissistic people. So they were just taking mm. all these mental fun. notes and my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Right? Super fun. So I've really learned that as much as I want to be open I'm very, very aware now of who is it that I'm being open mm. with mm-hmm. and why. Yeah. Yeah. So a little story to add to that. And this is my personal story and I hope it helps. Back in my twenties, I used to have this image of a horny sex positive Elena, right? I'm, I'm super horny. I have a highly beat on this awesome woman. That was me still living through my trauma and using sexuality to gain attention, to gain validation, to gain potential partners. And so I used to have a hypersexual uh, sense of humor. I could easily talk about my vagina. I could make funny comments and I would be TMI often, Mm. especially with strangers. Mm. And I am also very, very good at flirting. So I can turn on that sassy, sexy Elena (laughs) and then all the men in the room are mine. And part of my maturity as a woman and nearing my 40s was the realization of why I was doing that, which was trying to gain attention. I felt like I wasn't good enough unless I was this sexual woman. I felt like I wasn't interesting enough. I felt like that was the most lovable thing about me was my sexuality, was how open sexually minded I was and how I could talk about penises and vaginas with complete strangers. Mm -hmm. And as I matured, as as I did my own work, I've started talking about my personal life less and less Mm -hmm. and only to very specific people, people whom I trust, people Mm -hmm. whom... um, whose advice I want or whose support I want or who might feel good with. Mm. So that's my little shameful um, TMI story of really going from sharing TMI to being a, I guess, a conscious TMI person. (laughs) And inviting everyone who is listening to just be aware of why you are sharing the stories Um, are you getting the results that you want? And is this for your higher good? Yeah, beautiful. You know, talking about your vagina at a dinner table, is it, what's, what's it actually bringing you? Mm, Yeah. Wow. What a plot twist. A little story. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. I love that you mentioned that because it is, it is like, for me, it's always about like picking my, or like playing to my audience or, or picking my battles, you know, like I definitely, some people do not feel like safe spaces and they also feel like lost causes because like mm-hmm. my intention behind TMI Love sort of that. stuff is very much to normalize and destigmatize and to create a safe space for other people to feel comfortable talking about the TMI stuff that they wouldn't normally. Um, whereas some people you can just instinctively feel like they are not they are it's going to fall on deaf ears or worse they are not safe spaces there's no point um and it's not going to be an enjoyable or like mutually um like a like a good energy exchange you know um 
And so I, I haven't done the spiel, the proper spiel about this segment for ages because I couldn't be bothered doing it every single episode. But the whole idea is that, you know, I'm rebranding TMI instead of too much information. It's too much inspiration because I find it really inspiring um, when people courageously talk about the things that are vulnerable. And also, I, I love to just remind people, it's also really inspiring to say, no, thank you. I don't want to share a story that's a boundary for me, or I don't feel safe, or I don't feel the need to, you know? So everything you just said is just as inspiring as me talking about my vagina to strangers, which I keep it to a minimum. You know, I really just read, I read the room. Um, But yeah, thank you for that. That's beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I just wanted to offer like a different perspective because you know we're here on a podcast so this makes this is a beautiful intention i love it but a lot of people don't have the awareness of the fact that other people might have a boundary around hearing about your private life too right it's like i want to be able to talk about my sex life with everyone yeah but not everyone wants to hear it yeah and this has just been my personal experience like people will dump their sex lives on me Mm. (laughs) and it's happened on an airplane (laughs) and i'm like i didn't ask for this you know so now every time I fly and people you know like you want to be friendly to your neighbor you're going to be on the plane for 10 hours when people ask me what I do I say that I'm a translator or an accountant yep. it's easier it's easier <laughs> and then no one wants to talk to you <laughs> that's amazing <laughs> yeah because it could go either way either you talk you say that you work in in sex education or sex coaching and either they go holy fuck and they clam up and they don't want to talk to you which is great on an airplane or they're like oh my god finally this is an opportunity because i can't talk to anyone else about this and you're the one person that just openly said sex in public and oh my god because people are dying to talk about it and everyone has shit around sex so like i do get it but it is super interesting with like, you know, my professional boundaries as well. Cause I love, I love that I feel like I am a safe space for people. And when I tell people what I do, they then feel comfortable to open up. But it is a bit of a hazard sometimes. And sometimes there's a time in a, well, there's always a time and a place. And sometimes the time and place is not suitable or appropriate. And it's really tricky for me then to like say, hey, because you don't want to shut them down. You don't want, you know, they've just opened up about something they maybe have never talked to anyone about. And so it's a really tricky position to be put in because you don't want to shut that down. But you also are like, like you said, I'm fucking here to party. You know, I'm not in work mode right now. So very important point. Love that you brought that up. Love everything we've spoken about. I just got so much more than I bargained for. I love the way your brain works. I love your approach to things. I so appreciate, yeah, the, you know, you've been so generous, generous with your time. Um, and I'm just looking at the clock. We've got like four minutes until you got to go. So let's wrap up. But do you feel as though there's anything that, uh, you know, we haven't covered or you want to, you feel is important to make sure that we, we talk about before we wrap up? Mm, my gosh, we need another hour. <laughs> um, we can do another. No, I have, I have a few more minutes. It's okay. all good. We don't need to rush, but, um, I would say the biggest, uh, mistake I see people making these days is they are looking to fix their sexual problems on a surface level. Yeah. Yeah. Um, by doing minimal work and receiving the most results. Yeah. Um, so we're all avoiding feeling what we want to feel. We're avoiding deep healing. We're avoiding looking into the past. We're avoid really looking into the truth of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And if you want results, 
you've got to be prepared to do the work. Yeah. Um, buying handcuffs or strawberries and covering them with chocolate is not going to fix your love life. <laughs> uh, no matter how many female magazines will give you that oh as a tip. Oh my God. I love um, you. <laughs> doing what your girlfriends are doing is not going to fix your love yeah. life. Um, reading what some tantricas are doing and then copying that is not going to fix your love life. Um, so the work is much deeper. It's actually very simple, but it's not easy. Totally. Totally. I know. And trust the process. And remember, there's no shame in, in, in receiving sexual coaching and working with someone because the reality is we're all blind, right? We all grew up knowing nothing. It's like expecting someone to know how to do math mm -hmm. without ever giving them math lessons, mm -hmm. right? Imagine if we never did math, we would be looking at the numbers and going like, what is this? Mm -hmm. And so that's how 99.9% .9 of the world is now. They receive zero sexual education, uh, which is such a big part of life, right? Yeah. I always joke, like, how is it that I went to school, I have two higher degrees, and I still don't know how to fucking do my taxes. I don't know how to date. You know, I have a degree in psychology, and I didn't know about trauma bonds until a few years ago. Wow. <laughs> no one prepared me for the narcissism. No one talked to me about my codependency. Yeah. Like, I had to figure all this out by doing my own work. And so if everything is good in your life, good on you. If you are struggling, if you're questioning, if you're uncomfortable, dive in, invest your money, time and energy. And I guarantee you it's going to pay off tenfold. Mm. Um, because really a lot of the work that people are doing now is something that we should have been doing already as teenagers. Yeah, We should have been prepared into a adult love life of dating, sex, paying your taxes, getting mortgages, <laughs> you know, mm. taking out bank loans. Um, and unfortunately we received zero support on that yeah big time yeah so sorry everyone if you thought you were going to get an episode that was like yep so you need to eat some oysters and some chocolate like and tips. get some chocolate coated strawberries and like eat it off one another's fucking dick holes and and uh and also get some get some costumes and i mean yeah like i guess all of those things can be somewhat of a of a little flash in the pan bit of excitement or novelty or band-aid solution but yeah that's probably a little bit of a deeper dive that's necessary so so yeah no magic bullet or quick fix here I'm afraid just an hour and a half of like amazing I'm conversations <laughs> I'm not sorry at all I'm not sorry at all I used to stress because people before would ask me like what are your tips and I'd be like oh fuck but I don't have any tips. There, there's, there's no tips that can save you or help you. I'm sorry. It doesn't work that way. Mm. Um, you know, what, what drives me crazy, some people will be like, just communicate. Like, oh, thanks for this tip. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> communicate. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's so many factors that contribute to to libido that it would be just so tricky to I mean you have to have so many ducks in a row obviously communication has to be great to begin with and then obviously compatibility and then you know your physical health your mental health like oh there's so many things and and I feel like so many people are just like it's brutal but they're just in shit relationships you know like and <laughs> We were never taught what a good relationship is. Exactly. There's, it's not modeled for us. It's, there's no, like, there's not many great examples of it that we can actually observe and, like, 
you know, know what's possible or, or aim for. So anyway, that's a whole, a whole other thing. I really went looking for, for that, um, in my life so that I could, yeah. I have one tip. I got, right, I got one tip. Go. We got a tip. I want to leave she got a tip. A tip. All right. Here's the tip. <laughs> um, if you are inspired to do the work, do not book a session with just one person. Test out a few specialists. Mm. So go shopping for your therapist and don't be afraid to return, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> to return your items. Yeah. Meaning you can have one session with someone and if you don't feel safe with them, if you don't feel uncomfortable, if you don't actually think that their view or what they're teaching or what they're promoting is aligned with you, you don't have to go back. Mm. You can stay there out of curiosity and interest and push your boundaries, but ultimately that might not be the coach for you. Again, you have to find compatibility with a therapist and a coach. And remember that a lot of the people are creating content and teaching from their own personal place rather than from a place of understanding the libido. So they find something that worked for them and now they are promoting that as the answer to everything. Kind of like people who teach veganism or carnivorism. They're like, I feel great. So therefore you should do it too. Mm. The libido doesn't work Mm. that way. So kink doesn't work for everyone. Polyamory doesn't work for everyone. Monogamy doesn't work for everyone you have to really broaden. And so test out a few people. Don't go for the ones who have the most followers. Don't go for the ones that have the prettiest Instagrams. Some of the most incredible healers and coaches either have zero Instagram accounts Mm -hmm. and social media. I know mine don't. Um, Or they have very, like they have 5,000 people, if even that. Mm -hmm. Um, So don't look at the numbers really look at the content people are creating, listen to some interviews with them, look up on their website. What are they writing? How does that make you feel? Mm. Um, And test out a few, book a few sessions with different Mm. people. Uh, You don't have to stick to one or invest, you know, $5,000 for a year's coaching with someone who's not going to lead you in the right direction Mm. that you need to be taking right now. So that's my, my only tip. Awesome. Love it. Great tip. Totally agree. Especially since I've got, under 5,000 followers. So (laughs) love the numbers don't matter. Numbers don't matter. Um, yeah. And I guess my, like the thing that I would like to leave people with is like, I think, I think so often we are measuring ourselves and our libidos in particular up to like a, a male as default kind of, uh, prototype or blueprint. And, and often the way like we're feeling about our bodies and our libido, you know, we're resenting it. We're feeling like it's wrong. We're feeling like it's not enough or it's too much or whatever. But the way we feel about it is more of an issue than the way that it actually is. And if you can actually just accept where you're at, even if you recognize that it's not in a healthy place, you know, based on what we've just spoken about or working with a therapist and you're realizing it's not in a healthy place, if you can accept where it's at and not beat yourself up for it, then you're going to have a way easier time getting to a place that is healthy. So how we feel about our bodies is more important than how our bodies are actually rocking and rolling, I feel. Absolutely. I always say that the testament to the strength of your sex life is not how good everything is when you are having sex, but rather how you're dealing with your sex life when the sex isn't there. Oh my God. Yes. Are you a strong couple when you are pregnant and have the acid reflux for nine months in a row? How is mm-hmm. your sex life then? Are you feeling both chill that you're not 
having sex? How are you feeling when one of you moves across the country and you're in a long distance relationship? How's your sex life then? Mm. Um, How's your sex life when you just had a baby and you're not having sex for two years because you're tired and exhausted? So it's how a couple deals with everything and how strong you stay in loving when things don't really go your way. Um, that's really a testament to the strength of a couple rather than when everything is bright and shiny and you're on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Because that stuff is easy. Yeah. Preach. I love that. Awesome. Fuck yes. Well, thank you so, so, so much, Elena. This has been epic. I love, yeah, I love your work. I love everything My favorite you're talking about. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm going to pop your work, your links, everything to every way to find you and your book and everything in the show notes um, and in the Facebook group for the Labia Lounge as well. So um, I will let you go. But thanks so much for being part of the Labia Lounge. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a really lovely conversation. Um, I will share it with everybody. Um, Thank you for being a like-minded person too and creating that safety for me to to really be myself today and share some scary subjects that we might get people with pitchforks coming after us. <laughs> totally. Pitchforks and handcuffs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, um, I think, you know, everyone talks about diversity and we forget the importance of intellectual diversity and that we really need to be talking about everything and creating that safe space for different mm. opinions, different concepts and realize that perhaps both sides have truth in them. And so yeah. how can we meet in the middle? Even if we don't agree with someone, can we still respect their viewpoint mm. and try to understand why they feel the way that they feel? I think that's a really mm. loving approach to life in general. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully I've triggered some minds and some insecurities and fears and desires. Mm. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> this might be, you know, that little triggering might be the beginning of your healing journey. Who knows? Totally. Yeah. And if this was a catalyst for you, get in touch with Elena, work with her, work with me if you feel called. Just, you know, it's, yeah, it's important work and you won't regret it. So beautiful. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. And that's it, darling hearts. Thank you for stopping by the Labia Lounge. Your bum groove in the couch will be right where you left it, just waiting for you to sink back in for some more double L action next time. And in the meantime, if you'd be a dear and subscribe, share this episode, or leave a review on iTunes, then you can pat yourself on the snatch because that, my dear, is a downright act of sex-positive feminist activism. And you'd be supporting my vision to educate, empower, demystify, and destigmatize with this here podcast. Also, I'm always open to feedback, topic ideas that you'd love to hear covered, or guest suggestions. So feel free to get in touch via my website at freyograph.com or say hey over on Insta. My handle is Freya underscore graph underscore YMT and I seriously hope you're following me on there because damn, we have fun. We have fun. Anyway, later labial legends. I'll see you next time.